When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to Irish Illustrated Insider, brought to you by irishillustrated.com. I'm Tim Priest with Tim O'Malley and Pete Sampson. It's the day after Media Day. We've got 45 hours of <laughs> interviews to transcribe. <laughs> so we're going to be busy the next few days. But we did get a chance to see our fourth open practice of the preseason. We had a, I mean, when you consider four open practices in a short period of time, we've had an opportunity to see this team uh, pretty thoroughly. Brandon Wimbush struggled a little bit with a couple interceptions. I think the coaching staff has a different perspective on what he's done. Chip Long actually expressed that he was pretty happy with Brandon Wimbush and, and what he did uh, on, on Wednesday's practice. But Robert Hainsey remains out on the offensive line. Tommy Kramer playing offensive tackle and Josh Lug getting snaps at right guard along with Trevor Ruland. Uh, guys, where do you want to start? Uh, you know, I think we've probably dwelled on the whole Wimbush thing a, a, a little too much, and I've tried to compensate with some stories here that try to explain the perspective of the coaching staff and why he rem- remains number one on the depth chart. Well, I think that the media and fans' reaction to Wimbush is a lot different than the coaches, for starters. Um, you know, you talk to this, the staff sort of either in interviews or to the aside, and they're they seem, I wouldn't say overly comfortable with Wimbush, but they do see a guy who's improved. Because how often are we out of practice and scouting Wimbush and thinking, all right, I really like how he adjusted out of this play into that play. Zero times. And that's what Chip Long said was really one of his biggest improvements was the ability to get Notre Dame into better plays. Same thing with Ian Book. Um, you know, the ability for Wimbush not to go in the tank immediately at one mistake. That's also something that never gets written about in a practice report because all we're qualified to do is say that pass was completed or it wasn't. And we can't even get to the point of the receiver ran the right route or the wrong route because there was a pass on Wednesday where he basically threw the ball straight to Shane Simon who returned it for a hypothetical touchdown. Uh, well, Brandon Len- Braden Lindsay ran the wrong route on that one, and Wimbush was waiting and waiting and waiting. And the point of that period wasn't so Brandon Wimbush could put up good statistics; it was so he could work with the second team and have to deal with some of the crap that happens on the second team, where guys aren't doing the right things all the time. So, do I think Brandon Wimbush is going to be a sixty-five percent passer? Absolutely not. Do I think he could be a fifty-seven and a half percent passer? Yeah, probably. And I, I think. That's a, a big seven and a half percent jump that would really impact the efficiency of the offense. That's been that's of course been my target number since January. If he's fifty seven, fifty eight percent, they contend. Uh, of course, that matters how the fifty seven, fifty eight percent play out when you're when you're hitting deep post routes to people wide open for touchdowns to start games against Georgia and Miami. Those are more important misses than the occasional bubble screen that sails out of bounds. So it's all relative. The percentage. I'm not even sure you're going to be able to. I don't think you can accurately measure Brandon Wimbush just by his percentage this year. It's going to be the impact of his passes because they have to complement the running game. And that if, if it doesn't complement his running and Notre Dame's running game, Brandon Wimbush will not pass Notre Dame to the playoffs, period. Yeah, what, whatever happened to quarterbacks being um, you know assessed based upon the one-loss record? I mean, I, to me, that's where you start looking at Brandon Wimbush now. And 
Pete, you and I had similar separate conversations with Chip Long. I mean, the, the, the ability to continue practice after a mistake uh, is is huge for Chip Long now because that didn't happen last year. He would let Brennan Wimbush would go in the tank. Uh, it would impact him for seven or eight plays, I think is what he said to me. It would then impact all the people around him. The bottom line is how how often does Nordame score? How successful are they in the red zone? It doesn't matter whether Brandon Wimbush runs it in or throws it in. Where are his turnovers? Where are his turnovers? Where are his turnovers, which you know, I still contend that those will rise because his confidence will be a little bit better and he'll try to force some things and, and maybe misread a few things. But, uh, you know, and the other thing that Chip Long brought up, and I, you know, we're, we're I think we're all trying to find a litany, uh, a litany of excuses, but he said, you know, a lot of the coverages that, that Nordame, the offense went against on Wednesday, run by Clark Lee, wouldn't be something an opponent would run because, um, you know, they're, They're not concerned about a 30-yard run, whereas on game day, opponents will be. So there's the full litany of excuses for Brandon yeah, Wimbush. But, but, that you know, is I mean, a valid we, one, though. Well, I mean, we got, we, the we've running got to, is important. No doubt. If and we've got to give run, the perspective of the coaching staff. I mean, why does he stay? It's so easy for everybody, all of us, media included. Uh, you know, the the coaching staff is, is dead set on him being the starting quarterback. There's got to be a reason. If he couldn't run, this wouldn't be an argument. So of course it's because he's a great runner. I mean, he's broke. He shattered the program record for rushing touchdowns last year, going into November. He's if without running, he's not in the running for the quarterback job. He's not dropping back and completing. He's not just going to sit there and throw like Jimmy Clausen. You're going to start him. That's they'd be looking elsewhere. Right. It would be like trying to run uh, RPOs with Jimmy Clausen. Right. So the, it's, it wouldn't do it. It's clearly well, well, his running is the reason he is in this position. He's a great running quarterback. I go back a little further. Tony Rice. I mean, Tony Rice wasn't in Atlanta yeah. because of the way he threw the football. Yeah. It's and I, I and I'm here to tell you that Brandon Wimbush throws the football well, yeah, a lot better uh, than Tony Rice. Sure, did. he does. He does run the options well. But you know, getting <laughs> no, down no. getting down to what I take from camp after our viewings is not if Brandon Wimbush is the most improved player on Notre Dame's team or anything like that. The defense is better than I thought it was going to be from what I saw in camp. I don't think I gave enough credit. I, I think maybe you guys did and I didn't. I just thought, yeah. The defense was fine. I mean, the well, defense. I, mean, I thought was, it would be the backbone of the team. I know but I thought the backbone of the team maybe maybe they're the backbone of an eight win team. So that doesn't matter. Yeah. <laughs> I think the defense is better than I thought it would be. I, they're deep up front. They're deep at corner. Look, the safeties have to prove it, but they're suddenly fairly deep at safety because their backups are former starters, and their backup backups is a really good looking freshman in Houston Griffith. The starters have to prove it. Nick Coleman can have all the good camps he wants. Right? Let's be fair. Nick Coleman looked good before the Texas game in 2016 at corner, and then he got lit up. Yeah, no doubt. It I, is, I, you know, I pointed out how vocal he was, though, and oh, I, and I, I, you know, I don't want to do well, read too much into but, that, but a, but a, but a unconfident, a, a player lacking confidence isn't going to be vocal like he has been the last couple practices. I think so he'll I be good, good but sign. he still has to play. There's, there's plenty no, of guys no on this team that still have to play, and it's not just Brandon Wimbush. I just think the defense as a whole is even better than I thought it was going to be, and that's... That gives them a chance. I mean, I totally agree with that. And, I, you know, I mean, how much, uh, you know, where's Hainsey now? Because, I mean, Brian Kelly said Tuesday. Uh, I guess when he said Tuesday, I was thinking, oh, that's in a couple of days. Well, that's not till next week. And so now you're now you're you're cutting it dangerously close to the start of the season. I don't, you know, I mean, I don't know how you guys feel about Tommy Kramer back at tackle, but I don't think that there's a real comfort zone there. Josh Lugg hasn't played, so now you'd have two 
two guys in the lineup along with Eichenberg, who I think we're all confident is going to play good football, but you'd have two guys in the lineup uh, that that haven't played. And, and it, you know, if you were opening with Ball State, you'd say, okay, you yeah. have an opportunity yeah. you wouldn't even think about, but you're you're opening against a great defense, and and that could become problematic uh, as well. I think the offensive line will still be okay. I don't think that I've seen anything from them in camp that makes me overly concerned about it. I think if there was a positive development I could pick out, it would be Josh Lug turning into sort of the sixth or six-and-a-half offensive lineman on the team. Yeah, because the Rulin got the first crack at it. Yeah, I like like the idea of Lug sort of supplanting Ruland as the first interior guy off the bench because the upside there is so high. Um, I haven't seen enough from really anybody else other than Bars and Mustafer to be like, yes, this is a stone-cold lock in great shape, no problem, no concerns. Um, I think, but look, Bank, I think Banks is getting close, but I would agree with you. You mean as a backup, though? Yeah. A, yeah, I mean, it's, yeah. So it's, look, the Michigan game is not going to be 35-30. Um, so the offensive line is going to struggle because the defensive line they're going against is better than they are. That's fine. Um, just can they can they hold up? I think if, if the offensive line avoids, like, stage fright issues, which probably would be more Eichenberg and Lug, I think it'll be okay. And I and think that's fine. Yeah, you know, punts are okay. It's blindside hits on right. Wimbush that creates turnovers that, and you lose the turnover battle three to one. Then you then you lose the game against Michigan. There'll be plenty of punts and uh, missed third down conversions for both offenses in that game. That I've said it. I can't stop saying it. First to twenty probably could win the game. It's got to be like the Georgia game. Maybe without the mutants running around out there as the uh, Irish coach. Creatures. Like, creatures, yes, running around. Oh, mutant was Jalen Smith, yeah. yeah. Well, I'm glad you brought up Georgia because if Notre Dame struggled running against Georgia with Nelson McGlinchey, they're certainly going to struggle well, running football against Michigan. That's why I'm not quite as high on – that's why it was important for me to see this defense be everything everybody was saying it could be in camp. Because I just don't – I mean, you know what I thought of the offense going to last year. That will be the highest-scoring offense in Notre Dame history. Yeah. I don't think the offense is going to be close to what it was last year. Well, I think that that's a good segue into what I thought was probably the most interesting part of media, for me at least, was sitting down and talking to Chip, Chip Long about how they have they, he feels like they have a lot more answers this year offensively, whereas last year the quarterback just didn't have the wherewithal to understand to change out of a play or even how to run an RPO effectively. I mean, the way he described the way they ran RPOs last year was basically at the snap, just hand the ball off and hope it works. <laughs> Whereas their receivers uncovered or you have numbers advantages on the exterior. Take it, take it, take it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so it's just good. He had another bad read yesterday, too. I mean, he's still not adept at that. But. There's just, they, he just feels like there will, there's, not only are there more plays they can run, but there are, there are more options within the play itself that were ignored or overlooked last year because the quarterback couldn't figure it out. So I don't. The offense isn't going to be what it was last year. You can put more in in year two; that's natural. But you have to have more in in year two because what worked in year one, just hand the ball to Josh Adams right. and it's run gone. behind McGlinchey and Nelson, isn't going to work in year two because none of those three guys are there. But now you have running backs that that weren't running backs. You know, so to me that to me that's kind of negated a little bit. Well, before you have, have but otherwise you just have running backs who weren't playing yeah. like. Tony Jones and Dexter Williams were like banged up the whole time. So it's like, I guess I, I'm not, I look at Jafar Armstrong and Avery Davis and like, are they really that far off Tony Jones and Dexter Williams? Well, as runners, no. As pass blockers, probably. And against Behind Michigan, Dexter Williams? Well, no, but Tony Jones. No, yeah. Tony Jones. Okay. Okay. Right. Tony Dexter's Jones. not involved in the Michigan yeah. game. Yeah, all right. 
Uh, and, and, you know, really, I mean, I don't, Pete, you and I were talking about before we start here. I mean, I don't think there's anything really about Tony Jones right now that's inspiring us to think that that he's suddenly going to be a quality back. I don't I want to read too much in interviews, but I don't like his interviews. I don't think that he talks with any confidence. I think he plays that way, too, to a large extent. Um, you know, and I, I again, I think turning turning one of those defensive ends loose in a big game like this, that's how you lose the game. And with all the inexperience at running back and left tackle and maybe right guard now, uh, I just think that that's very concerning. It, it all it all spells a very, very low-scoring game. And I think we think that Notre Dame's defense, although not as good as Michigan's, can certainly keep them in the game in a, in a close, low-scoring game against Michigan. They could be better than Michigan that day. That's what matters in these situations. Technically, the defense wasn't as good as Georgia's last year. They were well, every bit as good you, last you really, year. Though, you really they? expect was... Notre Dame's defense events to pressure the quarterback as much as Michigan's no, are? No, but I really like... I really like having Tavon Coney, Drew Tranquil, and three corners in that nickel every time it's third down against Shea Patterson on the road at night. I yeah. just like, I like what Notre Dame has for this game. And and Michigan has Michigan has their own, they're seeking their own answers yeah, at, tackle, a, at offensive tackle as well. They could be as good as Michigan in this game. Is all I'm saying. That's how these games work. I Twelve mean, to ten. Yeah, exactly. That's Chuck <laughs> Mayo kicks four field goals for Notre Dame. There is to a Michigan. Uh, I mean, unless it's short fields, I would assume it's a low-scoring game. Now that's the danger of people listening to this that want to uh, play the ponies. Sometimes great defenses set up touchdowns too. So that's a uh, that could be part of this game that's too. That's true. The defense that gives its offense a short field is the best defense in this you game. You know the name Chuck Mayo, of course, correct? Mishawaka Marion High School. <laughs> Thank you very much. What else do we want to talk about? Maybe in Notre basketball one? in that segue, right? Is there a uh, <laughs> well? You know, I, I did watch Game Three of the trip to the Bahamas, and wow! Uh, no, I'm gonna, no. Real quick, I want to say this. I'm gonna write about Nate Lashevsky. Nate Lashevsky. Nate Lashevsky is going to be a big time. You know, that's no. I mean, he was a he was a high rated player that chose Nordham over North Carolina. That dude can play. He can play on both ends of the court. He's going to be really, really good. Anything else from media day? <laughs> yeah, I mean, best part about media day is we get to talk to the assistants and get different perspective, which you guys are bringing out here. Talked to Mike Elston, and I'm not sure if the story went up this morning or not, but I asked Mike Elston, just kind of leading in, because we talked about the depth of his defensive line, and I said, you know, the pass rush has been dormant for a while. Can this be your best pass rush since 2012? And he immediately said, yes, I think it will be better. It should be better. That's a high bar. But he didn't even hesitate, and I didn't even ask him to be better. I thought, can this be the best since? You know, you're kind of couching mm-hmm. things because it's stunk since, so I thought, yeah, this is a pretty right, obvious answer. Right. But, yeah, he, he mentioned better. 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 That's a, uh, that was 34 sacks and 45 pressures, although, you know what? Notre Dame has gotten a little bit uh, friendly and lenient with their pressures. Now I think if we just kind of breathe on the quarterback, the guy gets a pressure. They, they had more than 45 pressures that year is what I'm saying. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Because yeah. Prince Shimbo the next year ended up with like seventeen pressures out yeah. of nowhere. I, I sense a, <laughs> so. I sense a O'Malley Sampson bet coming yeah. up here. Yeah, there is, a, there is, but we might be on the same side of the bet. Yeah, <laughs> we'll just kind of... drive up the line until there's there's action. And that was I talked to Elston as well, and I thought one of the you know we haven't seen this in camp, but when they ran sort of their dime package last year, where the line was. I, it was Jerry Tillery and Andrew Trombetti inside with Julian Okwara and Dalen Hayes on the end. This year it's going to be Okwara and Hayes on the end, but inside will be Tillery and Khalid Kareem. And Elson said Khalid Kareem's their best pass rusher, yeah, yeah. which I was a surprise to me. It, it just sounded weird when he said it. The offensive linemen have all been saying that, um, too. It's... So if, if, you're, if you're telling me your, your pass rush and 
and long situations, you have a better version of O'Quara and a better version of Dalen Hayes and a better version of Dar- Jerry Tillery, and then you swap out Andrew Trebetti for <laughs> Khalid Kareem, who people say is the best pass rusher on the team. That's a potentially very dynamic group. That's a well thought out deduction. Yeah, that's and I, I was like, am I? I was like, Mike, am I? Am I reading this correctly? Because it sounds like this will be a lot better. It's like, oh yeah, you, you got to add to it that. A healthy Sean Crawford, which is what Todd Light talked about. Sean Crawford has finally been healthy for a year. A healthy Sean Crawford with a way better Troy Pride and the same Julian Love also helps. Yeah, pass coverage. And yeah, and like that. I mean another point Elston made was Drew Tranquil's in the box now and closer to the line of scrimmage. I mean he was a lot last year, but that was a real strength of his. I thought that well, now he's centrally located. In that pass rush situations yeah. that okay that could be kind of intriguing as well. So. And we thought, and Tim and I, we said this in our incident analysis, I, Asmar Bilal showed more yesterday than I personally have ever seen. Would you agree with that? Uh, at practice, yeah. yeah. He was uh, he, two nice sticks. That was the key. I mean, when, when you have to ask who, who hit him two times in a row, it was yeah. Asmar Bilal. Now, one of those, and this won't make people happy, but Tony Jones had an outside crease. He cut it inside, and he paid for it because Asmar Bilal was waiting for him. And he should have stayed on that outside yes, path. Yes, uh, which is something but, you don't want to see. Well, I, I don't want to see that from the guy that's not the explosive back. No, that's so true. If he, if he's not, right, if he's not confident kicking it wide, then he shouldn't go wide. Yeah, that's true. I just yeah. but I, If Dexter Williams occasionally chooses the wrong hole and then bursts through it for 80-yard touchdown, it's kind of different than when you're, your yeah. back that's supposed to be the one doing the right thing does. But. Why, don't, um, why don't we wrap up segment one on this? I, I'm just curious what you guys think the most important singular development of training camp was that we learned over the last couple weeks. Mine just has to do with the defense. The deep, the I thought they were a deep defensive front. It looks like it. I mean, honestly, the singular one, I, I, for me, it's Troy Pride. Because a college team that has two corners like that, plus Sean Crawford. I talked to Coach Light about this. They used to want to play Sean Crawford at all the positions. A couple years ago, it was like, well, we'd like to start Sean at field, but he's got to be our nickel, and he might be our best boundary. And then he was getting hurt. Sean Crawford is the third corner now, because the other two guys are better than him. Mm-hmm. That's a development. The college in college football, you need three real corners, not Julian Love, a guy that's fast, and a guy that sometimes yeah. hurt that occasionally makes plays. Yeah. Those are yeah. I mean, and Crawford's got Crawford has experience. He has success in his background when he has been healthy. My my response would all be on the offensive side of the ball because I had more confidence on the defensive side of the ball and Troy Pride and, and people like that. But you know what, Claypool and Boykin, uh, the the positives we're hearing there. I mean, Chip Long gushed about Claypool to me yesterday. I mean, gushed about how far, he said, 180-degree turn. He can yell at him now without any argument. And that, and it was always an argument when that happened in the past. So those two, now, that will make Brandon Wimbush better because those two have grown. And then if Armstrong and Davis are legitimate, I've been on Armstrong's bandwagon, not so much Davis because I haven't seen it, but those are the two areas. If those two are legit, I mean, obviously your offensive line still has to come together. But in answer to your question, Pete, it would be those two areas, the development of the other running backs, if that's truly legit. But I think the receiver development is legit. I, I agree. Chase Claypool would be my number one. Yeah, story. and Fink. Story I mean, and Fink, too. I mean, Fink's, I yeah. Fink is stronger He's the, he's the real number three now, too. With, he's like, not yeah. just out there. Right. The Claypool thing has, like, some real meat on it. Um, he ran with the ones throughout spring and then again long really raved about him yesterday and i'm pretty sure that it would be fair to say that long did not like chase claypool at all in spring and now really likes him a lot that's a that is a huge step forward 
uh, for the potential of this offense. And when people talk about ranking their players and things, you mentioned Claypool, you guys both do. Fink looks so much better than he used to. I know people don't want to hear this because it's always in practice. We say Fink looks good. Fink looks good in 11 on 11. But I was told yesterday, Miles Boykin is still the best receiver on this team, and Brian Kelly was not lying in. He does it every single day in practice. Yeah. So now you have a nice trio out there. Yeah, you ha- and If you he have- really is better than Claypool at this point, that's a, yeah. that's a, at least a tandem and that it, is imposing. And, it, and you have real maturity, and I think Fink always had maturity, but now he has physical maturity to go along with it. All right, we'll be back. Segment two, questions from our readers. Welcome back to segment two, Burning Up the Boards. Our first question is from Twitter. Trash Tweet Alex asks, Can you recall in your time covering ND the freshman that most impressed you during camp? Tim has longer time to go back to. Yeah, I go back to Frank Leahy. No, that's not true. Uh, <laughs> the Jerry Faust era. But, you know, I, I've always said this. When people say a guy's fast and somebody mentions Ragib Ismail, Rocket Ismail as, you know, the pre, the guy that was previously the most fast. No one I have never ever seen anybody as fast as Rocket Ishmael on football field. And that was apparent from day one. Um, he was spectacular from day one. I mean, he he's he's the guy that 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 comes to mind for me. I joke with Tim all the time. He's the fastest athlete I've seen in person, other than Kenny Anderson, the point guard <laughs> from Georgia Tech, who was just unbelievable on a basketball basketball court. back to basketball. <laughs> Uh, for me, I think Aaron Lynch would be really high on my list. Um, Matt Teo would be high on my list. And Kyle Rudolph would be on my list. If I had my probably top three, I'm not sure what order I would have them. But those, And same young honorable mention is just like, wow, these guys are huge. Because really, I think what stands out to me most, is for, for freshmen at least, is like how physically well put together yeah. they are. Opposed to how quick and fast they are, because we just don't really see them run around a whole lot these days. Um, so those those three and a half guys would uh, would all have impressed me. In terms of covering the team, I have two. You mentioned one, Kyle Rudolph. You just walk into the room, you thought, well, that guy's going to the NFL. And the other guy that you immediately thought was going to the NFL, so they called him NFL, was Stephon Tuitt. When he was a freshman, he looked better than he did yeah. when he was a junior, which is why there was a problem his junior year. But he uh, he was physically imposing. Where you're like, well, that guy. Cannot be kept off the field. It's just ridiculous. He looks like you're supposed to look in pads. <laughs> um, and then going back to college, Ron Paulus was, when I was in college, I was a junior when he had his collarbone broken. Never seen anybody that looked like that, that young, throwing yeah. the ball. It was Because there's also a stark contrast from the pass for his little Yeah, like Jimmy Clausen, I yeah. think. Jimmy Clausen's last year in Notre Dame was one of the greatest. His last year. Yeah, his last but, year, but, but his not, rookie not, year, he was too weak. I would add, I'll, we'll move on to the next question, but I would add, I didn't cover this guy, but I saw him in person. Ross Browner was the most dominant player I've ever seen in a Nordian uniform, and I'm not And you mean ripped. as a freshman, too, even at that I, point. He yeah. broke the punter's leg in his first game <laughs> at Northwestern. He's the most dominant football player I've ever seen in a Nordian He'd uniform. He'd get in trouble for that nowadays. Yeah, right. he would. We also have another Twitter question from Bobby Norell. Is this the deepest defense Brian Kelly has had? Probably. I mean... I don't even know what the other argument would be because you would go back to probably you know, twenty twelve. Is as good as that defense is from one to eleven? Probably not. But the line I mean, there was really good. The three guys. In I the mean, back. I think it's like people forget twenty twelve. If we were doing this podcast back then, we would have spent thirty minutes on like Lowood season and the Achilles injury and how it's really going to ravage the defense. They're probably not going to be able to defend the pass that well. 
It starts up Maybe front. Maybe not. Right? It starts up front. Yeah. They were dominant. Uh, yeah, I, you know, I would agree. I mean, certainly defensive line, you feel comfortable going to the backups. You know, you've got Aquara and Hayes at one spot. Everybody feels good about Tillery and, and MTA. Uh, you've got depth. At, I mean, the depth on a defensive line is really, really unprecedented. In yes. Dame. And then, you know, you have three corners. Uh, as you mentioned in the first segment, Tim, you know, you got a freshman like Houston Griffith waiting in the wings. Probably, you know, the linebacker core, you don't want to lose any one of those starters. You don't want to test your depth, uh, you know, pretty much at those spots. But certainly the defensive line, you're too deep. And in some instances, you know, you start your three deep. They were three deep yeah. in some spots. He really liked the Adam Lola brothers. And he also offered Tremere Jones's name without me asking about that type of depth. So. He must have something to, and that's relatively speaking to a third string player. Yeah. Obviously, he's talking about third string guys. So that's it. Would be the deepest defensive line, corners, and safeties. And the safeties have to prove it, but it's still deep. There's a lot of there's a lot of starters. Yeah. Is what I'm saying in the secondary, and of course, nitpicking. There's no depth at linebacker yet. There's zero. We have to find out about. Yeah, it. I mean, we. Well, I think we all love Jordan Jim Marquise, you know, future, but he, but we haven't really seen him play yet. Um, Twitter question from. Shane, 0607, how is Sean Crawford looking fall camp? Can he hold up for an entire season? I haven't really seen enough to say. Like, I mean, I think he's a guy that I'll take the coach's word for it on him because we had, I've seen Sean Crawford look a lot better in camps or spring practices than in the last couple weeks. He not, made more plays, you mean? Yeah, not yeah. that he was bad. Just like, there, I, I can't remember a play that he's really impressed me, um, but... Like he he's proved it on the field, so that yeah. this is not one where I'm like, well, guys, Sean Crawford really regrets. Well, I think, yeah, no. I mean, I think he's a guy where, I mean, he's been he was better at the beginning of last season than I think I've ever seen him in practice. Yeah, which I is mean, fine. No, that's great. Yeah, that's <laughs> if, if we had, if Sean Crawford had just skipped the four practices that we watched, I would still feel pretty good about Sean Crawford. Yeah, yes, that's the best. That's the Sean Crawford I, has proven it on Saturday. Yeah. I don't so I'm comfortable I, with him. Yeah, I mean, I don't understand some of the inconsistency that we've seen in practice, especially in the spring. But may, you know, more maybe so he in the spring, I didn't. Yeah. see he wasn't getting beat in this practice. I mean, he gets beat by Chase Claypool sometimes because he gives up seven inches to Chase Claypool. <laughs> Chase Claypool is going to beat corners that are five eight. That's a tough all matchup. year long. Yeah, <laughs> so it's okay. He also picked off a pass with Chase Claypool when Claypool quit on the route. Oh, yeah. But no, he's uh, yeah he, he he looked better in September than he does now. Um, I would not worry about Sean Crawford. Yeah. Would be my. That's your least of your worries. <laughs> yeah, our, la- our last Twitter question is from Snake Ferris, and it's, does Notre Dame win by a comfortable margin if Brandon Peters is a starting quarterback for instead of Shea Patterson? No. No. Close, no matter what. First to 20. They could just, yeah, just, just punt every time it's going to be first to 20 in this game. I, I, yeah, I think we talked about this. I mean, I'm not, I, and we need, we need to actually see Notre Dame play against Michigan before we can say, make any kind of comparisons to Georgia from last year, but I just don't think, I don't think we're going to make that that comparison, but I think it's going to be pretty damn close. I think Georgia's D will prove to be better than Michigan's D over the course of the year. I'm just saying in this game Michigan situation, games. this is going to be like the Georgia game, is my point, is that it's going to be a 23-20 type game, where it's pulling teeth at times, a couple plays are made, and the defenses are better than the offenses. It's the kind of game where, as we said in the first segment, it's okay to punt. Do you, do you think you kind of look, do you think there's either offense is going to be better than either defense in this game? No. No. No, not right. So that's the Georgia game. I mean, it was no. clear that the, those defenses were better than what they were facing. Yeah, no, I, I, this game's probably is going to look a lot like that. And I, you know, that's kind of an interesting point that got brought up yesterday by somebody that the Georgia game at the time felt like 
eh, the world might have ended a little bit after that. And then they won seven in a row. So, you know, maybe the, regardless of the outcome against Michigan, we could just preemptively not ring an alarm siren. I agree, except, except it's if you fan were... base is not going to handle the Michigan thing. I agree. Well. I mean, you know that. It's not going to be good. No, it's the wrong team. It's the, that's the different situation. The rivalry is just different. You guys read my comment after the Georgia game that the world did end. Yeah. <laughs> You were the only guy that said, Sometimes. no, you're the one that said they were going to go no, four, I did, three and no, one or whatever. No, I did, yeah. I did. I just didn't. What was know, the next game just... after Georgia last year that was the worst? Oh, USC, right? was the one where they had to get to USC by not losing, and then right. the season was saved type thing. But, but they pounded the crap out of people. On no, the right, there, right. Like... But I'm saying before it, we looked ahead and thought, can they get by BC, Michigan State, and then they can get to North USC. Carolina, yeah. No, yeah, but yeah. And, uh, and obviously, but they those... obliterated people is the difference. Yes. You thought they might beat them. This <laughs> is not murder. Yeah, well, and, 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 yeah. and so the, <laughs> therefore, <Including> <laughs> therefore, going into November, hopes are sky high. But based mm-hmm. upon what you did to USC and NC State, uh, question, Coach CFT over under on number of quarters that will pass until we see a quarterback not named Wimbush inserted into a meaningful situation. The over under by Coach CFT is eighteen and a half, and that. He didn't just pull that number out of the air, did he, Tim? No, that's somewhere in the middle of the Stanford game. So it's a good question. Because there's there's three options, obviously, the first game. It's humanly possible. I mean, this point spread is seven at Wake for a reason. It's not supposed to be the easiest thing ever, your first road game, and it never is for Notre Dame. And then, of course, Stanford and Notre Dame is always at Notre Dame, down to the absolute wire. And crazy, and crazy stuff happens, too. Yeah, so Pete, over. 18 and a half. Over. Solid over on this one. You think it would have to be losses are involved then, is what you're saying, for Wimbush to be replaced. Uh, Not just yeah. struggles. Basically, that's it, right? Wimbush getting replaced during the Stanford game would involve a loss to Michigan, for right. sure. Certainly, yeah. Probably playing very poorly the rest of the month. Or awake, especially right before. Or awake. Fair and enough. then they're yeah. losing against Stanford. So I don't, I don't think... I don't think well, maybe one of those things will happen, but not all three. And it's injuries notwithstanding, obviously, yeah. if you're making this yeah. major. And I, and I, you know, I think this is where Notre Dame's defense comes into play. If Notre Dame's defense is as good as I have thought and you're beginning to think they're going to be, that can make a difference, too. Uh, you know, if your defense keeps you in games, you're, you're going to have a longer leash with Wimbush if it's a close game. That's a, that's a great Eighteen point five is great. You love that. <laughs> That's a really good line. It's, it's we almost need to use this one. All right, I'll go under. <laughs> I say Ian Book comes in there in, meeting, in a meeting. I'm not saying he takes over the job. I say Ian Book comes in in a meaningful situation. He's only has two and a half games technically where this should matter because he better not come in a meaningful situation for Vandy or Ball State without an entry, right? Right. I will say under. So just, is it going to happen in uh, the Wake Forest game or the Stanford game? I am just playing the odds on this one. Don't want to put okay. myself down for All anything. Right. Midway through Stanford is when it has to happen. Pete, there's our there's a bet. Okay. That's right in Omelly's wheelhouse. C North Ten. If there was one game you had to choose out of the five major matchups on the Irish schedule that you would bet it all on Notre Dame winning, which would it be and why? That's a tough question. Okay, now the five are Michigan, Stanford, Virginia Tech, Florida State, and USC. There you go. Florida State. That would be mine. I think they have the best chance to be well they have the only chance of those five to not be f- kind of in good position at that point in their in the program of the season they could be fine they could have be absolutely a top 10 team but they could also be the only team that's kind of reeling from a third loss already 
and then has to deal with coming up to South Bend at night in November, and they won't play as well. If that's Florida the case. State's just like not great, right? But they could be. They could if that game was the third game. Would you be jumping on it as much? Probably. I don't know if I would. I just oh, think, if it was the third game, I would definitely jump on it. No, there's like I think Florida State. The more I sit there and stare at this list, I think Florida State is the clear number. The, you can't the, pick a road game. Yeah, I, right? No, you, you can't pick a road game. But I, I don't. I don't. From a talent standpoint, I don't think that that's true. I think Virginia Tech has lost a ton defensively from graduation, two first round draft choices, um, injuries, suspensions. I think Virginia Tech's talent level has taken a significant hit. So from that standpoint, I would I would say they're the least talented of those five, but it's on the road, and it's at Virginia Tech, and it's probably at night, and so I would choose Florida State as well. I would I mean if you want to rank them, I'd go Florida State one, Stanford two, Virginia Tech three, Michigan four, USC five. USC has to be one five out there. One the game I would bet on the most, five the game that I would yeah. absolutely put no money on whatsoever. I agree with four and five for you there, Michigan and USC. I think. I mean, I think Tim almost talked me into Virginia Tech. <laughs> I don't. I don't feel the same way about Florida State. I know they. I think things could go wrong for Florida State. Well, you can't bet the road game though. So Florida State's number one. Virginia Tech's number two. Notre Dame has beaten Stanford once in the Brian Kelly era on a last-second fourth-down touchdown pass to Brian or to Ben Koyak, and once on a miracle goal line stand. And then they couldn't beat Stanford without Christian McCaffrey. Stanford owns but Brian that, Kelly. But it was. Uh, it was. Bryce Stanford with Bryce Love. Well, they can, so I'm saying that Stanford has the ways of beating Notre Dame. And really, they've shown I, it quite often. I'm so. looking forward to the, the matchup of Stanford's offense, which is yeah. for them is really loaded versus Notre Dame's defense. Stanford's three for me, I would say. So Florida State one, Virginia Tech two, Stanford three, Michigan four, USC five. Yeah, because you can't say USC out there. That's fine. Yeah. I don't. Yeah. yeah, I don't have a, a strong opinion on yeah. Stanford. That would or be. Virginia they're Tech just better than Virginia. Tech. That would be I the way I would rank sense. them. But if. If you can get off to a quick start at Virginia Tech and somehow that was my thought, they could actually diffuse that crowd right. a little bit. I think that that's the best physical matchup for Notre Dame. Kind of like the Michigan State game. I was about to make a joke. Notre Dame does that so often on the road, and I remember they did do it last year. Yeah. It was the Michigan State game. They, I mean, that they did. They just put it on them early. The crowd was out of it, and then they mm-hmm. kind of they didn't have to impose their will. They just were able to play the game the rest of the way. Right. Threat level midnight forty four. Last year, the Irish defense allowed just over 21 points per game, giving up 20 points or fewer in 10 games, including the bowl game. What do you expect from this year's defense? Does this unit have the potential to be even more stingy? Yeah, I yeah, mean, potential. I They're going to get off to a really good start because they should probably give up 14 points or less in each of their first four <laughs> I games. was trying to write down teams that were going to score 20, and I had to get to Stanford, and then I just started jumping. It's like, yeah. well, and the Navy doesn't. USC. Pro- yeah, <laughs> probably not Virginia Tech, Pittsburgh. Eh. Navy will, just because they will. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it but might it'll, be. But it'll be it, like yeah. 21. Sure. Um, yeah, yeah no, I think they have the potential to be a better defense. Um, it's logical, too. They're bringing back. Most of their better players, I mean, they, they lost nice little complimentary pieces in Trombetti, Jay Hayes, and Niles Morgan. Niles Morgan would start on the team, but only because Drew Tranquil would stay at Rover. Martini, That's the only thing, Martini, right? That's, Martini was that complimentary, yeah, complimentary yeah, piece, too. Yeah. But you have, I guess my point is, kind of like, I almost brought up basketball again. Remember when Notre Dame's basketball season went off the rails because they didn't have Rob Kerr's? My point was, Rob Kerr's didn't suddenly pass. He graduated. You have to be able to replace these guys. You have to be able to replace... Greer Martini, what Niles Morgan really was, which was fine. Andrew Trombetti, 
and Jay Hayes, right? The, the hardest to replace there you is, have to probably, replace is probably Jay Hayes because of his ability to hold a point of attack. And a couple times I've seen that left side of the D-line, Kareem, kind of get collapsed in a couple open practices. You but, agree those guys are replaceable parts for a playoff so oh, absolutely. Playoff oh, absolutely. Yeah. Team. I mean, you're absolutely. Replacing. You're stronger on the defensive line overall. Your your tandem inside at linebacker is better because Tranquil is a great college player, as is Coney. And all those and guys Morgan did wasn't. well. Those four guys played well last year. Trombetti had his best year. Martini had his yeah. best year. Hayes yeah. had his moments. Yeah. And Morgan was fine. I mean, Morgan, we're not I mean, factoring in a, a, a first-time coordinator. We're assuming that they're just going to pick up where they yeah. left off with that. And, that, you know, that's a pretty big assumption, I guess. But I think we all feel pretty confident in Clark Lee and, and you know, if if they had four starters returning like Virginia Tech, well, then maybe you wouldn't feel as confident about Clark Lee. The 20 points or fewer in 10 games is really impressive, though, to like not take away from last year's. The, real, the, the final effort was Notre Dame had a chance to win everything except for the Miami game because of its defense. Yes. And then it all just went south for – and, you know, Stanford was fine up until a certain point where the offense gave it away. Yeah, yeah. Swarbrick for president. Or Swarbrick for Prez. What's your best guess for Michigan's defensive game plan against Brandon Wimbush and the offense? Will they load the box and force Wimbush to beat them with his arm? Yeah. I mean, what else would you do? <laughs> yeah. There's nothing else you should. We're like, we're going to play Kelly. pass defense. <laughs> or we're going to take that away. We're going to make you beat us with your legs, Brandon Wimbush. I mean, Don Brown's not an idiot, so. And he watched one game last year. <laughs> so that, He turned into any random game and he decided yeah, to do it. Yeah, right? I'd say if I was Notre Dame, I would I would try to play a... I think against Georgia they tried to get the edge and didn't. Yeah. I would try to get to the edge, but not just like running jet sweeps all the time. Um, and then, But I would definitely take deep shots... Um, I would. You need I a would, deep shot to win, right? One no. team, one of these teams needs to hit one where it's oh, there was not a bust, but a play made downfield. You yeah, know? I'd like to see a bunch of Claypool, Boykin, Mac commit together. That's probably how I'd run it, and then just sort of gadget my way with Davis, Armstrong, those types. That's why when people say, you know, that somebody our message was asking about books arm strength. Well, you know, especially in the Michigan game, you've got to throw the ball deep to your big receivers. And that's not a particular strength of Ian Book. Wimbush may be inaccurate, but he he's not lacking length on the, on the deep ball. So, yes, you absolutely have to take a couple deep shots, especially with some concerns on, on the, the at the safety level for Michigan. They're saying the same thing about Notre Dame, of course. Um, yeah, you don't <laughs> you, you absolutely make him uh, beat you with his arm, and that's why. The the evolution of Boykin and Claypool, I think, is, is so significant and why I feel like Notre Dame obviously should win the, the home opener at night, Notre Dame Stadium, absolutely. I should save this for game week, but I want to ask you guys, you think the game plan going in is what's going to do it for both either side or the adjustment, the better adjustment to what you're facing? Well, boy, there's a big, there's a big gap in experience yeah. between Don Brown and Clark Lee. That's... For sure. I don't know. I don't even know how to answer yeah, that. Yeah, it just, does that, it, you know what I'm saying? That I, I don't know if, I, I feel like they're both very scoutable offenses right now, even with Shea Patterson, where it's almost execute the game plan, whoever makes the plays. Sometimes it definitely comes down to the adjustment at halftime, like, oh boy, we didn't. Well, I mean, the first two quarters count. Of course. No, but I mean, you can, so you I, can keep playing that way too. I <laughs> it's think, not. Yeah. 
I don't, I don't even know what they... I don't, I don't we'll know, be back know. with that in yeah. uh, two Mondays, right? I don't know how to answer that question until September 2nd, whenever we do that Monday. Yeah, Monday. but, I mean, Don Brown's a... Tom Brown's a great defensive coordinator, a proven great defensive coordinator. That's that's yeah. a significant advantage, whether it's adjusting in the first quarter or at halftime or, or whenever. You have to you have to adjust in the first quarter too. Right. That's how you lose games if you wait till halftime to adjust. Like last year against Georgia. Man, they're fast. All right, uh run faster. Just do yeah. something. Well, it's, I mean you gotta have a good Yep. The what you're doing these few weeks, like when you're installing your mission game plan, that counts as an adjustment. I mean, that's like how you're. I guess that's you're setting yourself that up as, to the game, play. Yeah. Um, you know who who comes in with the better game plan to start, and then you're adjusting off that mm-hmm. maybe two times, three times, four times. I don't know, but you know if, if Notre Dame can score, if if Chip Long comes in with the game plan that gets the better of Don Brown on the first two series of the game, and Notre Dame's up fourteen three or seven zero. Oh, it's a that's question. really freaking significant. Yes, so. You know, a, a fast start is just as important as your adjustments <laughs> in some ways. Both ways, obviously. I mean, even even for the visiting team, that's significant because I mean, what do you think is the? I mean, outside of uh, uh, you know turnovers that directly lead to a touchdown, and let's say there let's say there are no turnovers that you know no pick sixes. What's or the, super plus territory? I got you. Yeah, that's. That's a low-scoring game. I'm telling yeah. you, it's impossible. So what's there will not be a bunch of long drives in this game. So you're the best at this. What what's the over under going to be? Uh, I think they'll give some it's too much be, credit. It'll be like 45 and a half instead of 42, and it should be 42. Are you sure? It should be 42, but I, I don't think they. I'd say 38 and a half. I don't think they go that low yet. Michigan's usually in that 42 range, but. I think it'll be a little higher than we think. Okay. I think it should be 40. 38 and a half is real low. So. Yeah, I think I mean, that's, that's like a November yeah, yeah, Michigan-Notre yeah. Dame point yeah. spread where no one can feel their fingers or something like that. But I <laughs> I would put it 42, and I bet they go higher than me, which helps me with my uh, in case I happen to be walking by a Las Vegas yeah. casino that Monday. All right, a, a question, uh, uh, not a real pressing question, because <laughs> Isaiah Robertson's probably not going to get a lot of time Probably here. shouldn't have finished on this one, huh? No, <laughs> probably not. But but Isaiah Robertson moved from – Isaiah Robertson went from – Safety to rover to buck to wide receiver. That's a circuitous route for him. But he looked pretty damn good yesterday. I mean, in a red zone, he, he certainly looked very, very natural playing the jump ball game in the corner of the end zone. He was against Nico Fertitta on the two reps that I saw. So, so that helps. Physical mismatch yeah. in yeah. terms of size. Um, but, I mean, he didn't look, He didn't look like, hey, I'm suddenly over here no. on defense and I don't know how to, to make a play on the ball. He 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 showed good ball skills yesterday against yeah. a short guy. I think it's Notre Dame's receiver roster. You know, Claypool, Boykin, Fink, and Young are one, two, three, four, and Austin is like, clearly is five. Clearly number five now. Um, beyond that, it's kind of wide open. So could Robertson be six or seven? Probably not, but he's certainly going to help you on all your special teams. Yeah. Like, yeah, I guess with Robertson, it's like. He would be worth talking about and significant in if he if he left because exactly. I think he will be a, a, an important part of what they're doing in the kicking game. But he's not going to be an important yeah. part of what they do offensively. This is a, it's actually a pretty good segue into Kevin Austin because Kevin Austin was the guy that Brian Kelly mentioned. And, and by the way, this was Doc I, DLC Doc Irish that asked the question about uh, about Robertson. But Kevin Austin came up yesterday, and I wrote a little bit about this today about. Brian Kelly said, you know, work volume, that, that, that common phrase, work volume. And I found it, I find that interesting because work volume doesn't necessarily mean, 
you know, the strongest guy out there? Because he mentioned Tariq Bracey, who almost undoubtedly, unless he's really good on special teams, which he said he is, but almost undoubtedly he's a great candidate for, for a fifth year. Our giant, yeah, Bracey was interesting because Polian brought him up on special also, teams. Also, yeah. Polian so brought I mean, him up in spring, as, too. As actually. a guy who has... Bracey in the spring. Oh, yeah, really? his real name. As a guy yeah. who hasn't hit the wall, which he was sort of like, that doesn't really make very much sense to me. Um, he said that? About Bracey. Yeah. Like about <laughs> how, mean... how impressive he was. And like, usually you're kind of wearing down. And he's kind of a smaller guy. It's just a bit weird. Yeah. But um, he was very impressive. Well, I, so teams. I thought, I, I, it's a short piece I wrote about it. But I mean, I thought that's interesting because the previous guys that he had mentioned were Jafar Armstrong and yesterday brought up Kevin Austin. And then I followed up with a question. He mentioned Jared Patterson, you know, who again, by all accounts, won't play this year. But Well, he'll uh, he'll play. Well, I mean, yeah, I mean, he'll he'll redshirt. Yeah, he'll he'll redshirt. So, uh, interesting. You know, and that's, we can go to practice and you can't say, oh, okay, his work volume's great because they're all running around. They measure it by, okay, we had a tough practice day. How are this, how's this guy's legs responding the day after, which we don't always see. To wrap it up on Austin, as a stark contrast from last year's camp where two of us, him and I, had Darnell Ewell number one, and Pete had him number two. I believe we all had Austin number one, right? Did we finally redeem ourselves after last year's? Uh, I had him number one. I had him one, and you had him two or one, right? I believe, yeah. I believe all right. He well, was see, one. now he we still, know everything again. No, and he still hasn't done anything. He still hasn't done anything. And <laughs> no, but he, he well, clearly is caught behind a really to. good. Player. He is going no, to, he is, but he's clearly <laughs> caught behind a really good player right now. Yes. I, he will play as the number five receiver. No, I agree. He will. He is. I agree. He, he is clearly the number five receiver. In fact, it's not. Isaiah Robinson will not so approach the, the Kevin first Austin. time they have a five receiver At formation, he'll be on the field. Probably not because he won't graduate. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he'll be a new head coach here. That's crazy. All right, we're going to wrap up today's uh, Irish Illustrated Insider with that. We we don't have access to the players for another uh, week, week another, from today. Yeah, another uh, a week from today. Tonight, so, in fact, yeah. Uh, our plan then is to have our next podcast on Friday, correct? The 24th, I believe. Uh, in the meantime, I'm flying out to L.A. Saturday morning for the Nordham Club of Los Angeles. If that doesn't uh, warrant you coming out to see me, Joey Getherall will be there for those that are <laughs> old enough to, uh, who I'm looking forward to seeing. I've stayed in contact with Joey Getherall a little bit, and he's got little ones. You should see Joey Getherall's son on the baseball field. Needless to say, he can move. He's got wheels. YouTube, Joey Gatherall, Nebraska, for people that want to. Yeah, there you Joey go. They're from the late 90s, early 2000s. Joe, the, the, and Joey Gatherall, uh, I'm sure his work volume was very good, too, because he was not a very big guy, but he was a, a very impressive and quality player for Notre Dame. So that's it today for Irish Illustrated Insider. I'm Tim Priester with Tim O'Malley and Pete Sampson. Thanks for joining us. <laughs> Ching, ching, ching!